It was in the early 50s where this missionary from Texas was called to reach the country of Mexico. He learned quickly that because of, of his uh, not eloquent Spanish, lack of there, he couldn't really do it on his own. So God spoke to him a bit more and said, you know what, what if you start a training center in this missionary decided to start traveling central Mexico to visit villages year after year after year trying to recruit these leaders, these kids, these young kids who were willing to be trained to be the ministers of the gospel. So it, it was in this one village that for the third time he found himself, but there was something unique because there was this one 13-year-old kid that would not give up. He would be constantly be around the missionary. He wanted to go with him. He wanted to train. When the missionary was standing there, I wish that uh, uh, some other men would rise up and have this kind of passion that this kid had. What happened is that this kid, when he was eight, he saw his grandfather, who was a pastor, pass away. And it was there that this kid knew that one day he would fill his shoes. So here he was, this missionary in this predicament with a 13-year-old kid who wanted to go with the missionary. How many of you guys remember where you were when you were 13? Where was your mind? <laughs> some remember, but maybe some kids in this place who went, imagine you at 13 wanting to leave with this missionary. And I forgot to tell you that if they were to be gone, it would be a 20-hour ride away. And imagine the moment, the time where there's no technology uh, and no internet, no Facebook. And maybe they had one telephone for the whole village to communicate. But this 13-year-old kid would not give up. So the missionary tells this kid, hoping to scare him away, I will let you come with me with two conditions. And two conditions are this. First, that your mom has a complete blessing for you to come with me. Second that you will not cry for your mommy. So the 13-year-old said, I will promise I will not cry for my mommy. So there he found himself. Adventure awaits. The adventure of this 13-year-old kid begun. So he took classes. He took training. They discovered the zeal, the passion for the word of God. And a few years later, they started asking this kid, hey, can you teach some classes? Can you sub some teachers? And he started doing that. And that subbing turned into 23 years of teaching in this college. Imagine the, the hundreds of students that, that, that went through uh, his teaching through the classroom and influencing them. But beyond that, this 13-year-old now older was not just a professor. It was one of those kids that just would not stay still. Instead, he would travel around the country. He would be a pioneer of a national Christian convention in Mexico. He would be a pioneer of a Christian camp, pioneer of youth rallies. And once he went to Chile for Six months was his goal to, to do campaigning, to get, you know, you read this in the old books where they used to rent, Billy Graham did this, rent tents and they would set them up and they would preach the gospel. So all these things he got to do. But at the end of the day, at the same time, this young kid became a pastor and a church planter of four churches. And in one of the communities that he invested himself in, at the beginning, he realized that there was so much darkness, so much oppression. And uh, it was because that community, there was a lot of gangs in that place. And the only thing that he could do was drive around his car, wave at the people, hoping that the stairs wouldn't kill him. You know, at first, 
but Holy Spirit instilled in this young pastor and said, you know what, there's more that you need to do. Holy Spirit one day told him and him without telling his family or his wife or the elders what he was doing, Holy Spirit led them to go to that train cart where the gang members were hanging out. So there he finds himself entering this train cart with tough, tough guys. And it is interesting because by then the gang knew who he was. After a while of investing, waving, saying hello, the pastor, okay, cool. But it's interesting that as he walked in, the gang members, they, they put out their smokes, you know, whatever they were smoking. They were trying to hide the beers. And well, the pastor steps in there, he says, you know what, don't hide them. Actually, I'm here because I want to be part of your gang. So the gang members just kind of like look at each other. And then he said, yeah, yeah, yeah. If you give me three good reasons for me to be part of your gang, I want to be part of your gang. So again, they, they looked at each other and they looked at the leader. And uh, I don't know if, if they couldn't say anything or didn't want to say anything. Maybe just they just didn't want him to be part of the band. But, of, but eventually the pastor said, you know what, since you're not saying anything, I'm going to give you three great reasons of why I should be part of my gang. The Jesus gang. So he presented the gospel of Jesus Christ that day. And uh, luckily he made it out alive. But before leaving, he invited them to come to a campaign that night at the church that he was holding. Well, that night happened to be a packed night. Uh, all the seats were full. And uh, the pastor was exciting, hoping that they would come to church. And well, worship happened and everything else happened. And then he was ready to present the gospel of Christ. And there it happened. There were 15 thugs walk the back of the door, I mean, imagine if that were to happen nowadays. It would freak our elders out. It would freak the safety team out. And the, but, but the pastor was, was excited. And pastor says, don't, don't. I, they're my friends. Leave them alone. And that day was beautiful because 10 of those 15 men accepted Jesus Christ and got baptized in water. And this is one of... Many stories. You see, there was this young boy when he was 13 that he said, I'm ready for an adventure. I know that, Lord, you have a calling for my life. Adventure awaits and I want to go. So because of his faithfulness and calling on his life, he was able to speak over hundreds of students to start these conventions and rallies and bring people to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. This man this 13-year-old kid impacted first his life through obedience. He impacted hundreds of lives. This 13-year-old kid impacted my life. That 13-year-old kid is my father. And it is honor to who honors do, yes. They, they call me, I don't know why, Super Mario around here. But based on that story, the real Super Mario is my father, a man of God, committed to preach the gospel of Christ wherever it be. And I love the adventures that we get, got to take together. I remember that I was probably even around the age of 13 as well, that he took me on this trip to Culiacan, Mexico. And he was to meet leaders in a convention. And so we got tickets. But we got tickets not to a seat, but we got tickets to the aisle. We got to sit in the aisle because my dad needed to get to Culiacan. So a minute later, something in the front of the bus pops like a firecracker. It was some guy with a gun. A gun. The, the bus was hijacked. We survived that one. Adventure awaits 
During the last decade, I was able to go with him to Merida, Mexico for three times. Uh, and we were able to build homes and we were able to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Adventure awaits. And I believe God is calling us to an adventure, but not just for the sake of adventure. For the sake of bringing Jesus Christ to others. At the end of the day, because of this great legacy that that he's leaving for me, and because the example I truly, truly want to make my life count for the Lord. Do you? If you were to look at your life record, we all have an official life record now. You log into your Facebook account. What do your pictures say about you? What, what are the things you say... What do they say about you? Are, are, are you in love with Jesus? Are you doing everything it takes that, that, that you're in this adventure in life to proclaim the name of Jesus Christ? Or do you focus on politics, on earthly things, self-centeredness? I want my life to count. Do you? Today we're going to be looking at chapters... 13 and 14, and I love the fact that we are going through the book of Acts. It's called the Acts of the Disciples. In reality, I think it's the Acts of the Holy Spirit because I believe the Holy Spirit lived in Paul's life. This man, we're going to read this. It's the first journey that he took, missionary journey. And he was so filled that not just one missionary did enough, but instead he did a total of three missionary journeys. And then he made a fourth trip to Rome, where eventually he died for the sake of of Christ, but I want you to imagine the life of Paul, the journey that he took, the, the walks that he took, the, the donkeys that he took, the camels that he took, the number of sandals that he had to replace to move forward. He sailed on boats. He was shipwrecked. I mean, Paul's middle name literally, I would say, is adventure. Let us look at the definition of adventure, and it is this. It is an unusual and exciting, typically hazardous experience or activity. <clears throat> For some of you guys, you might be thinking more of like soloing El Capitan or whitewater rafting, whatever it is. But with this definition, Paul's definitely a man who had adventure in his life. So I want to take you back quickly to the book of uh, chapter 9 of Acts where we first saw Saul of Tarsus, which is Saul later, his name changed to Paul. But we see that he came to, 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 to this moment when he acknowledged Christ as Savior and he was on the road to Damascus. Eventually he encountered Jesus. He went to Damascus. And then from Damascus, we understand that he went three years to Arabia. Again, let me tell you. Paul is a mysterious man. We don't know exactly, exactly the time, but we have an idea. But then he went to Arabia. Then he came back to Damascus. And in Damascus, immediately they were plotting. The Jews were plotting to kill him. But then the disciples there ended up throwing him out the window on a basket, make sure that he wasn't killed. I mean, adventure begins for him. From there, he went to Jerusalem. In Jerusalem, he found himself in front of the disciples, the original disciples in Jerusalem. Even them, they didn't know, like, hey, is Paul legit? You know, is he for reals? And so Barnabas had to speak 
for him and they allowed him into the fellowship. And again, they started preaching the word of God boldly. And again, a group of Hellenists were persecuting him. I mean, talk about a life of adventure. Let's go back to those three years in Arabia because I don't want us to just kind of uh, skip over that. There is a lot of information that, that Paul gives to us when he writes this in the book of Galatians. Galatians 1.5 says this. But when it pleased God, he separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace to reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the Gentiles. I did not immediately confer with the flesh and blood, nor did I go up to Jerusalem those to those who were apostles before me, but I went to Arabia and returned again to Damascus. You see, I love the fact he's telling us I didn't confer with flesh and blood. He had 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 the most amazing encounter with the living God, with Jesus Christ, and he realized, oh, I want more of Jesus. There's something special, so unique, God. I want more of that. And that's why today I'm here to tell you that adventure must begin in the heart. It must begin in the heart. I mean, Paul didn't go back and look at his past, at his history, all the things that he had done wrong. He didn't go back and based on his knowledge and understanding of the Jewish law. But instead, Paul was willing to press into the heart of God during this pivotal time. So my question to you, who do you confer to during pivotal times of your life? I would consider that we are pretty much in the middle of one. Do you confer with your friends, with family? It's great to confirm with your spouse. It's needed <laughs> if you're married. Uh, but who do you confer to? I mean, maybe a better question to you this morning is who do you confer to first? It all begins in the heart. You see, Paul needed to press in. Again, I say this because it's so important. Press into the heart of God and to the person of Jesus because Jesus became so, so much real with the tangible ability to know that Jesus came to earth because God, because God with his heart of compassion and love for the nations, for the people, because God sent his only son, Paul was able to recognize that through Jesus, God's heart is for all. That God sends his most precious thing to earth and it all begins in the heart. I want us to, to read John 14 verse 1. As Jesus became so real to Paul, I believe that there's people in this room that we need to let the Lord, we need to let Jesus press into him and let him become more real into our lives. It says, John 14, 1, it says, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. You see, Jesus was about to drop the greatest bomb ever, the greatest I am statement of who he is. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. You know, as, as I tell you this, I, I implore to you that, that don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in me. I 
am here. We need to press into the heart of God just like Paul did. Uh, Paul's mindset before was, okay, God is the creator. God is the lawmaker. God is the judge. But instead, as he pressed in to God, he was able to acknowledge a God who so loved the world and wanted to know him more and more. Philippians 3.10 helps us, gives us a glimpse into Paul's heart. He says, I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. Who doesn't want that? Come on. The mighty power. But Paul didn't just stay there. That is awesome. Power is great. Glory to God. But Paul goes a layer deeper. He says, I want to suffer with him. Sharing his death. He was ready for an adventure that would require suffering in his life for Jesus Christ. And it is in that fertile heart, in that, 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 that secret place that as he ventured out, that God was knitting together, that the Holy Spirit was mending his heart for him to be able to go. Adventure begins in our heart, and when we get that church, then we are able to venture out with boldness. So finally, we start reading in chapter 13. I told you we were going to get through it. So we are here now, but we'll pick up where Barnabas and Paul are being sent out by the church of Antioch, and they had laid hands over them and confirmed uh, being filled with the Holy Spirit. We now send you, and immediately we find them in this interesting situation. Verse 6 says, <clears throat> But when they had gone through the island to Paphos, they found a certain sorcerer, a false prophet, a Jew whose name was Bar-Jesus, which is son of Jesus, interesting, who was with the proconsul Sergius Paulius, an intelligent man. This man called for Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. So it is interesting that the author of Acts actually points out that they were in front of this sorcerer in that culture, in Jewish culture. If anybody was a sorcerer, it just wasn't accepted. But he, the author, is helping us see the intensity of what is happening here. You see, this person were to be mixing all these mystical thoughts and ideas and philosophies and truth and making truth relevant and mixed it all together and forming a new way of thinking he was a false prophet. You see, church, it happened then and it happens now. We ought to be careful when it comes to that. You see, also, we see that, that they were with the, the, the sorcerer, they were with a proconsul, and we have to understand that a proconsul was a governor, uh, a governor who, who could govern over, basically he had those senatorial rights and could govern people. And so at this moment, this conversation was actually a big deal. I mean, they were in front of a big wig right here. So let's see how Paul responds. He says, but Elymas, the sorcerer, for so his name is translated, withstood them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. Then Saul, who also called Paul, so you see here we, we see that switch. Where we ought to understand that his name Saul was his, 
Hebrew name, and now Paul is his Roman name. So now that he's going to be that apostle to the Gentiles, from here on, they start using the name Paul. So Paul, being filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him. So kids, when your parents look at you intently, what does that mean? <laughs> Somebody is in trouble. So let's go. He looked at him intently and said, Oh, full of deceit and all fraud, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, will you not cease perverting the straight ways of the Lord? And now indeed the hand of the Lord is upon you and you shall be blind, not seeing the sun for a time. And immediately a dark mist fell on him and he went around seeking someone to lead him by the hand. He looked at him intently and told him, you son of the devil. Don't you think he was being just a little bit harsh? Or was he being bold? I like the fact that he was calling it for what he was. You see, people who keep other people from hearing the truth of God can easily become agents of Satan. And we ought to be careful with that. And because uh, we go back, it's not being harsh, it's being bold. So you see, when Jesus was flipping tables in the temple, do you think he was being harsh or was he being bold? You think when Jesus called the Pharisees and the scribes, you serpents and and, 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 and vipers, was he being harsh or was he being bold? You see, even Jesus models an example of that boldness. And again, going back and understanding that Paul and Barnabas being filled with the Spirit, he then spoke in boldness. I'm pretty sure as we walk in the Spirit, as you walk in the Spirit, that you find yourself debating <laughs> the flesh and the spirit is like, Spirit of God, are you really telling me to say this right now? Really? When we walk in the spirit, we ought to speak boldly for truth. Boldly for truth. Also, wasn't it interesting that Paul spoke blindness over him? Spoke blindness over his life. He was the, the better, the person who best knew what, what darkness could actually bring to him. And in this moment, it's kind of cool because it sounds harsh, but it was like a merciful act for him. Because in that scenario, it was only in darkness that he could see that he needed the, the true light in his life. So it was actually a merciful act upon the sorcerer. Verse 12, it says, then the proconsul believed when he saw what had done. Being astonished at teaching, at the teachings of the Lord. You see here, he wasn't being astonished at Saul or Barnabas, but he was being astonished at the teaching of the Lord. Adventure begins in our hearts and we ought to venture out with boldness. And also we ought to venture out for the sake of Christ. I'm going to let the word do the speaking and we're actually going to look at the first sermon that was ever recorded of Paul. You know, he had been uh, a Christian for 14 years, but here we get to see a glimpse of this recorded message of Paul. And we're going to start reading in verse 16. Then Paul stood up and motioning with his hand said, Men of Israel and you who fear God, listen. 
the God of his people Israel, chose our fathers and exalted the people when they dwelt as strangers in the land of Egypt. And when an unlifted arm, he went and brought them out with an uplifted arm. He went out and brought them out. Now for a time of about 40 years, he put up with their ways in the wilderness. And when he had destroyed seven nations in the land of Canaan, he distributed their land to them by allotment. Hang in there with me. <laughs> after that, he gave them judges for about 450 years until Samuel the prophet. And afterwards, they asked him for a king. So God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. And when he had removed them, he raised them up for them, David as king, to whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after God's own heart, who will do all my will. From this man's seed, according to the promise, God raised up for Israel a Savior. Who? Savior Jesus to them. You see, he goes through this long spiel about their past and, and understanding, helping them have that bridge, that connection. But I love the fact that Paul brings them and points them to Jesus, the only true name that is worth living and proclaiming. You see, as Christians, we are not called to just leave a good impression. We're not just called to have a good conversation. We are called to speak the name of Jesus, you know, in moments that are difficult for you. And you might get nervous, like, Holy Spirit, let me be, let, give me that sensibility to, to know where we at. And give me that bridge to speak your name. The more you do it, the easier it gets. It doesn't matter if at the beginning you stutter, Jesus, you know, say the name of Jesus easier it'll get and you'll proclaim the full gospel of Christ and what he has done. Jesus sent by God lived a holy life. Then he died on the cross for my sin. He was buried and was there after three days resurrected and went to heaven to prepare a place for us. The gospel, being prepared to share, to speak the gospel, to venture out for the sake of Christ. We can't be wasting time for eternity is at stake and as as I grow, as I mature, I realize that just connections is not enough. There's people I learned to, to have to love right away, love so much that I will never, ever. It's kind of one of those cases that over my dead body will I let you live a selfish life. And it's to those people that we need to go back, that we need to uh, give them that, that true meaning of who Jesus is. We ought to venture out for the sake of Christ everywhere we go. So the Lord says, go and make disciples. And lo, I am with you always. You see the word lo is behold. I am with you. Listen, look, listen, I am with you. You do this and I am with you. But he's also helping us see that we can't do this alone. We ought to venture out with a band of brothers. Let's read verse 19 and 20, chapter 14. It says, Then the Jews from Antioch and Iconium came there, and having persuaded the multitudes, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing him for dead. 
I mean, imagine if the story ended up there. Well, church, close the Bible. You really don't exist because of Paul. We are here as well. Good thing it didn't end in there, in there. So let's read verse 20. It says, however, <laughs> when the disciples gathered around him, he what? He rose. And then I love this next part. He rose up again and went to the city and pretty much saying, hey, what's up? He didn't run away. He didn't go to the next city. But he rose up and showed up in the city with his whole posse and saying, hey, what's up? What you got? You thought I was dead. What you got? And then the next day they left Barnabas and him to, to Derby. It is so important to go and travel with our band of brothers. And just last week, I was, as I was preparing this message, my, my, my father, my dad was talking to me about that one time that he went to Chile. And it was at the beginning that their vision was to be there for six months, but they ended up staying there for four months. But in looking at the whole story that at the beginning of their mission, they sat there, landed in Chile, and they determined, like, you know what we should do? And since Holy Spirit is doing that, we should rent three tents. There's six of us. So we go two into, into. They were able to reach more cities that way. They never knew that their, that their, that their trip was going to stop at the fourth month. It was then that there was this political unrest in Chile. So they went to the embassy. They poured them in an armored car to Argentina. And then eventually they flew back to the United States for their safety. A band of brothers who, who would communicate, who, who knew that, hey, God is stirring something up. Let's do more while we can at the beginning. And then they were able to journey back safely. It was with a, with a band of of brothers, and that is so important, that is so needed, and I, I truly believe that even in this place that God is doing something, something so divine, something so unique, that if you look to your left and to your right, God is rising up this army, God is rising up this church, where we know that we are not in this alone. You see, when I came to this church, I love the spirit of pioneering, of seeing that whenever there is a problem or a circumstance, we don't look at it as that. We look at it as an opportunity because we have one another and we see an empty building, a closed down building because of COVID-19. It's not a sad moment. It's a moment of opportunity to plant another church, to reach out more people who are in darkness. And I love my band of brothers here in this fellowship. I would not trade it for anything else. And I tell to you today that if you are here in Gateway Fellowship Church, I need you to embrace that and understand that if you are not in this alone. And God is calling you in an adventure. God is calling us to go. You are not in this alone. It might look differently for each and every one of us. Some people can literally go and be on the other side of the world. For other people, it's planting churches, being equipped and teaching children and building them up and equipping their parents to know Jesus. And then for them to be life changers down the road. For everybody is different. But one thing I know is true, that God is calling us to go. And it all starts in the heart, church. In our hearts. Are we ready to go? I know that last year we had 11 missions, trips ready to go. COVID hit and only one of them was able to make it. But hey, we're going to seize that opportunity and say, hey, next year we're going to double up. We had 80 people who wanted to go. Fellowship, church, I'm speaking to you next year. Let's double up. Let's triple up. Let's send people. Let's support the missionaries. Let's love the missionaries. And God is giving us certainly that opportunity for us to be able to do
do that. You see, I live in a beautiful legacy. My father modeled that to me. But ultimately, I had to make the decision for myself. Do I really believe in you, Jesus? Are you real? Are you for reals? Did you die for me? And I came to that knowledge, and there's nothing that will ever turn me back. And recognizing the darkness of this world and, and personally being sent to, to be trained to plant more churches, raising my own support, not knowing how I was going to feed my kids. But I, I knew that I had to be trained uh, uh, from this other church that had eight church plants and understanding their systems and their way and what they did. And one story stuck with me. Like they said, are you either a spider or are you, are you a starfish? The spider, you cut off its leg and it's done. It's dead. But a starfish, you cut its leg, and not only does the leg grow back, but a brand new starfish comes out of that piece that was broken. And that spoke to me. It's like, God, you're calling us to an exponential opportunity to bring more people to the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And it's worth the suffering. It's worth the calling. So I ask you today, what is holding you back? Sin, selfishness, your comfort? Are you just cold to God's heart? Is there something that happened in the past? Is it fear? Is it money? So I want to give you three reasons of why you should go. First is because Jesus resurrected from the dead. There is power. What we believe clings on that for Jesus is alive. And second, because the harvest is plentiful and the workers are few. You see, today I could have spent a, a large amount of time explaining to you numbers and figures. But church, we know. We know. And that is the reason why. And third, simply because he said so. 